Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the Glen Gore podcast with your host Jason or JJ and um, we're stepping into season three right now and we are pretty much hot on the heels of the actual website. The aim is to mirror um, and also around about the same time as publication. You've got a podcast to listen to things and you also have the written piece with obviously the, the visual enablers of uh, photographs or god forbid video or something like that documentation so today we are doing two together and um yeah we'll almost be in tandem behind the main site which is great because uh something i want to do but also we um we're really starting to get into some nitty-gritty and uh get some more materials up for glenvore to enjoy so the next article in this sort of chain is a, a second whiskey review and this from the Edinburgh Tasting, um, which is happening in March. This is the Gordon and McPhail representative, and it's a 1979 Glenvore. So in terms of the year, uh, not too much happening. This is obviously on the eve of, I think, the the cutbacks, i.e. going to part-time distilling. The closure of the salad and boxes would follow soon after. So this is almost like the tail end of, I wouldn't say the old way of Glenvore doing things, because that was... Uh, certainly a decade prior, but it's certainly um, that transition point from maybe more echoes of the past ownership before things become a little bit more, uh, shall we say, DCL in terms of operation and central malting and uh, yes, the, the difficulties of the, the early 1980s, what it brought in whiskey terms. So uh, it's a 24 or 25 year old whiskey and it is bottled at 43% and I wanted really to include this one in the tasting because it's a slightly bonkers whiskey. It's got a it's got a lovely nose and it's also got <laughs> quite the journey on the palate. So it's obviously it'll be a vatting, it's not one of the Gord McPhail single casks but it really does have some Glenvore characteristics in terms of you know I'm looking forward to sitting down with people letting them try it and actually seeing them try and get their heads around what they're trying because the nose really does have some uh, wonderful features and uh, the tasting notes are on the website. But the the palette, the palette's really, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's got that touch of, uh, I always say concrete floor or something that, that goes on, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's that the harshness of the Highland atmosphere, the, the nature um, burnt butter, um, you've got some toasty aspects, caramel, cinder toffee, uh, saccharin brings some sweetness, you've got the, the, the barley, the oats, um, musty cardboard of coast, some oak bitterness, and perhaps some of not the best casks or tired casks have been in the vatting. And of course, a touch of smoke as well, honey fig. So it's all in there and it's all over the place. So uh, those are just my own personal tasting notes, but I'd be very interested to see what the audience comes up with. And as I said, I think on a previous episode, we would, um, I'm going to try and sketch down some notes. You know, I, I think it'd be really great to have that group interaction and see what people say, because yes, I am going to probably share one or two drams with some notable people for them to enjoy. And maybe one or two might want to review them, but, uh, you know, it'd be great to get that sort of mass public opinion on a whiskey you don't really see very often. But I, I think it's slightly challenging this one from a Glenvore perspective and it, I haven't decided the running order yet because I haven't had all five, but I think this one might be near the front. But the part of me thinks, do you want to have 
the bonkers one near the front, or do you want to maybe start with maybe a, a steady single cask? So I think potentially, yes, it might be position one or two. The other one you might be having to swing roundabouts with is um, the Hart Brothers bottling, um, because that's a, a lovely single cask and maybe slanting a little bit towards Speyside in terms of some of its characteristics, but that might be a, a nice opener. However, the reviews on the site, I gave that one a 7 out of 10. Um, very good whiskey. Uh, I'd certainly buy another bottle, and I think probably by the end of the bottle, I, I could see myself being, you know, in love with it. But then, you know, I am probably slightly biased on these things, so apologies for that. Uh, the link for that article will be down below. The next article is a logbook entry. I think this is probably going to... I'm really trying to get as many of the logbook ones up as we can. And it just gives us so much more insight. Um, the advantage for people, maybe if I do a Glenvor tasting later in the years, you're probably going to have more material to look at. You know, we do have uh, a couple decades of the logbook still to go. We also have several series of plans as well that I'm working on at the moment. So... All of these things will filter through. I think I have a couple more news articles, but that resource is starting to dry up. Uh, we did have, uh, there is a document, um, a, a cask sale from the 1950s that came up on eBay, but unfortunately somebody outbid me at the last minute, as you do on eBay style. Um, so they paid probably, uh, I hope they're happy with their purchase because I'd definitely left in a decent margin, but unfortunately, the auction finished round about uh, my son's bedtime routine, so I, I was away, and um, that was the end of that. But I've got great images, which is the next best thing, and uh, we can talk a little bit about that and what it shows. But I, I think as well, you know, bills of sales, uh, I haven't seen one in a while, but chances are there's more out there, so you just got to bide your time. Who knows? You know, that's one of the joys of the Glenvor experience, I suppose. You don't know what's out there, and you've just got to be aware. Um, so, you know, I do have people who do say, oh, have you seen this? What do you think of this? And uh, if you see anything, please let me know. Uh, or if you have anything and you want to sell it or, you know, talk about um, trade or whatever, please let me know again and I will uh, gladly um, negotiate with you um, because ultimately I, I want these things in the, the public domain um, rather than in a collection somewhere um for that nobody can enjoy but anyway we are on the logbook entry and this is from the 29th of june 1939 and again as i've said in previous uh, episodes we really are starting to get into an interesting period for not just scotch but for every distillery in scotland with the advent of the second world war pretty much um within the next few months so this article is quite fascinating because well i'll read it to you uh, and then we can uh, step into why it is what it is uh, honorable sirs messrs McKin mckinley's burnley Co company of glenvore distillery inverness have handed me the attached application for the provisional approval to transfer the siphon and air pipe from the discharge of number one low wine stills in brackets as it's still seldom in use to the number two low wine stills now this is very interesting because we know the prior year when the new manager took over, uh, one of the first requests he had was to see this, the operating status of the original low wine still, which uh, I'm still looking for the definitive date, but generally we think was replaced in the mid-1920s. And regular listeners will know Alan talked about that is probably when unbalanced distillation came into the distillery. Before then, 
was the original features and everything was quite in tandem, I suppose. But we know he requested the, the testing. We don't know what happened. I've got every reason to presume it. Um, it's interesting that the, the note um, by the exciseman says they are still seldom in use. Now, we know potentially that the still has not been in use since uh, the 1924-25, um, and it's just sat there. And you'll see that occasionally at some distilleries. There, there's some stills that, you know, you might, I've seen a couple collapsed at distilleries as well, but there's, generally there's there's some that might be shuttled off to the side for whatever reason, or they're maybe waiting the next refurb or you know, expansion plans, and then they'll get dealt with. But for Glenvora, this original low wine still just sat, sat there, um, and it was still connected to the network. Uh, I have no record of it ever, ever firing up again in terms of the, the, the period in between this entry and when the new still came in, but you know, still seldom in use sort of indicates, you know, it's, it's pretty much rarely, if at all, used. Going back to the actual entry, uh, this transfer would allow sufficient spent lees to remain in the number two still after discharge in order to, an unknown word, protect the soldering. The spent lees would cover about one inch of the crown of the still. So they're to I'll come to that, what they're talking about. But um, the siphon will be inserted between the flange of the discharge cock and the number two spent lees as per the sketch and securely and riveted here too. The siphon consists of a bent pipe, a siphon discharge and an air pipe four feet long, I think that is with a um, question mark top, firmly jointed to the siphon type. The discharge of pipe number one low wine still would be jointed by riveting to the flange of the turning cock and by soldering to the number one spent lees box. By indulgence, uh, now this is interesting, E33140 stroke 25.4.196, a siphon pipe with an air pipe was allowed to discharge on the discharge of the low wine still. Right. So this is talking about a prior indulgence. So this is where perhaps the excise have allowed the owners to do something that normally they might not have been allowed to do. And as you'll know from that reference, and I think it's quite reasonable to, to suggest this from the reference number, that refers to something on the 24th of April 1906. Now we have no record of that whatsoever, but it looks like uh, that siphon pipe uh, with an air pipe was allowed on the number one still. So that's very interesting. That is a piece of work that has never been noted before. Um, so they're looking to move on from that. The trader requests the cancellation of the above indulgence. So that above indulgence has sat there for 33 years. So I think the indulgence has become pretty permanent by then. And the issue of the new indulgence for the siphon and air pipe on number two low wine stills. So they are looking to recreate what they had on the original still by moving it onto the replacement still. So that's very interesting because you know the dimensions of the two stills are very different. Although uh, the pipework um, between them in terms of production process is probably identical. Your authority is requested to allow the work to proceed. I am Honourable Sir's obedient servant, Gilbert W. Peterkin. So he is turning into a sort of a, a regular exciseman at the moment and has been pretty much since the uh, departure of uh, Neil M. Gunn. I think we had somebody maybe very briefly in between, but Gilbert is our man at the moment and he's doing a fine job. And unfortunately, or sorry, fortunately, he had, an, he mentioned a sketch. Now, 
we do have a couple pages in the book. Now, one of them is the failed first attempt, because this is a counterfoil system. So I didn't include that in the article. But what I did include was the final one, the one he got right. And this shows sort of the crown of the still, of uh, the number two low winds, the pipe that the, he is discussing that goes to the spent leaves uh, receiver number two. So this is what they're looking to include. And it's very, it's very, very interesting because on that crown, you can actually see there's a level indicated. And that is where they expect uh, almost like a buffer of liquid to reside, which will protect the bottom of the still, which obviously if you've got the, the fire beneath, it's, it's very important. You don't let the thing run dry, do you? Um, which will cause some major issues. We also have a little guide to the stills um, included on the, um, on the diagram, and that's on the article below as well. Um, and of course, as usual, I sent this one to Alan Winchester, who, uh, amazing insight, uh, always surprises me, and uh, is most welcome. Um, and he said um, on this actual entry, interesting and challenging, my thoughts on this. I wondered if Estelle had, has been burnt at one point, but there is no mention of that. So he's talking about the bottom. You know, why on earth are they making this change? Has something happened to the replacement still? But there is no mention of that. The siphon, as he has correctly shown in his sketch, retains a quality of spent lees in the bottom of the still, as I was mentioning. If the still is empty with the heat below the, bar the buried copper, the heat anneals the copper and can result in a crown head softening and the crown head falling. This would result in a costly repair with the coppersmiths and time and loss of capacity. <coughs> Sorry, cough. Um, so that makes total sense. Uh, we do not want that to happen. And there's no indication it has, but that would be potentially the outcome. I thought maybe wrongly that the siphon would not need a spent lease vessel, as the siphon drain was a freeway valve in my experience, which allowed the sample of the previous spent lease to be retained for, for sampling by customs and excise. So that would allow an access point to We've seen the measurements and the details the exciseman likes to record. Uh, so potentially, you know, the change might have been making his life easier. But clearly, in this case, it's being retained. So there is no option to do that. The lengths that the equipment had to be secured in the discussions around the type of bolts being fitted to prevent spillage at any stage when welded was introduced. A spot weld was used. It can be seen in some distilleries. Uh, it's all around my... Any, it's all around any interference should give of should give evidence of tampering. So, you know, if you're looking to um, extract some of that spirit um, illegally, uh, then you know there would almost be a, a breadcrumb trail uh, that you know something had happened to the stills, which is probably why when we talk about employees helping themselves, they uh, much preferred the sort of the, the dipping tool the dug um, in the warehouse. Much easier than having to mess around with a still which might still be hot or contain very hot liquid. An indulgence is interesting. This is something being allowed by customs and excise which needs their approval as it would be required a as it would be against a required piece of le legislation. So it shows that there was a little given you know given give <laughs> given let give <laughs> um, between excise. It wasn't by the book all the time you know there was a relationship here you know and they needed to could we do this Please. We know it's a little bit off the books, a little bit out of the ordinary, but could we do that and achieve something? And they've agreed to do it here, which is fantastic. So in my summary, you know, we talk about that suggestive work, and I, I feel quite confident that reference number does relate to something in 1906. 
Um, we don't have any more details apart from that brief description, but it's an interesting marker and maybe something that might come to light later. But it just shows as well just how much this logbook can contain. Uh, you know, we're getting flashbacks to previous indulgences and decades, and um, we're getting some sketches, which is fantastic. I, I try, as I mentioned, I've tried not to look ahead when in the logbook. So, uh, you know, the temptation, although I'd taken photos of every single page thanks to the Highland Archive Centre, uh, this was the one diagram I do remember. I don't know if there's any more, but it would be great if we had some more diagrams. But, uh, you know, material, you just got to accept where it takes us and hope for the best and document it, recreate it, get some input from Alan if we can. And I think it just brings it to life just on a whole new level for a, any distillery that I know of and, and shows as well you know, when we talk about the role of the excisemen you know books will mention that and what they were like and you can probably get an instance from that say from a Neil M Gunn's book as well and some of the, the literature of the time but here we actually have the physical evidence of that relationship and between the distiller and uh, the excisemen and what they could do together to enable a successful business but also the flow of spirit in a regulated fashion and uh, a controlled fashion so thank you for listening um we shall uh continue with the podcast obviously as i said at the top of the show um we are almost hand in hand with the site now which is great i do probably i was meant to be trying a glenvore at the weekend i didn't get to it um, for a variety of reasons uh, outside of whiskey but it's um, the bottle is opened I think it's probably settled a little uh, and I can hopefully get into that Glenvor which is a signatory one in the next couple of days and uh, do another uh, review for everybody uh, like at the top of the show and again yeah it's it's a ve it's a very rare Glenvor in terms that it's fully matured in sherry um, so we don't see many of those bottles at you know, we didn't see much Glenvor sherry, um, so uh, it's going to be really interesting. And obviously, like the Gordon McPhail bottling, it's showing it can do it at a reduced strength, uh, much like the um, Hart Brothers bottling as well. Glenvor works at a lower strength uh, when some other distillates perhaps get a little bit washed away. It retains some of its character. If you've got a cast strength Glenvor, and certainly some of those early Gordon McPhail cast strengths, you hold on tight because it's an absolutely epic whiskey but even its watered down relatives have have a lot to enjoy and perhaps a little bit more approachable in some respects so thank you for listening thank you to everybody involved uh, the next entry it will be quite pertinent to this one in terms of um, they have asked the excisemen for the quality of work to be assessed. So we're actually going to be able to do that in the next entry. There will be a report about the work they requested here, how it's been implemented, how it's been assessed, and um, if there's any uh, question marks. So thank you for listening, and uh, I shall see you again for the next episode.